This is Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin in the Restorative Justice Ministry, which is ministry to those who are incarcerated. Primarily, I serve in the Gatesville and Marlin regions. I'm joined today by Renee Brown, our Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. And we're working our way through a series of presentations on how to prepare ourselves for release from incarceration on the one hand, and for those those of us who are in the community, perhaps, to learn some things about how to welcome people back into the community so that they have a greater possibility of not falling back into the life of crime. Which brings us to our topic for today, Renee, and that is... What from the experience of your daughter, Tierney, who has been incarcerated herself, yourself as a professional and licensed counselor, what are some of the things that when a person is preparing to leave, is now out there uh, having left, that are the traps, the pitfalls, patterns of behavior that they really need to watch out for so that they can keep themselves out of trouble? So in talking to Tierney about this, uh, her her big thing was drugs, and she said it to me like this, drugs, drugs, drugs. Um, and it's not to say that maybe or maybe not you could get them where you're at, but we're talking about illegal drugs, right? And so her thing is, is when you come out, you're, you, you're with your family, you're with your friends, you're back in your old places, right? And there's a tendency to think about drugs again. Seems like you hit the free air, as she says, and drugs pop into the mind. And, and for her, uh, when we were talking about why drugs were, were so hard, she said, you know, when I think about some some fun that I had, I, I was high. Or, you know, just when she was sad, she would turn to drugs to cope. So drugs had had such a prevalent place in her life that it's about learning new skills, new coping skills, and not turning back to drugs. So, you know, I can have fun without being high. I can have fun without using drugs or alcohol. Um, If I can't cope with something because I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling down or I'm feeling anxious, what are some skills, what are some coping skills that I can use instead of turning back to drugs? Um, For her, that was a huge realization that so much of her previous life had been tied up into drugs. But just because you've been incarcerated, her point is just because you've been incarcerated and you've done your time doesn't mean when you come out, you won't think about drugs again. I know that uh, one of the geniuses of the 12-step programs, whether it's AA for alcoholics or NA for uh, those with narcotics, is an accountability Uh, an awareness of yourself and what are the things that move you in the wrong direction, but also recalling that though your mind may be saying, gee, those drugs and being under their influence was so much fun, there was another side to it as well. And in the case of those who have been incarcerated, that's one of the sides that it led Mm -hmm. to incarceration. Then you get into the whole host of things that it does to your body, ruins your ability to have good relationships. That's one of those things that those kinds of groups can assist the person who may get into the fantasy of how great it was, and I've missed it all this time, so why don't I go look for it? Well, but it, then let's get the whole truth out there. And the whole sure. truth is it didn't serve you all that well. No, I mean, she contributes, uh, you know, 
the trouble that she got. Well, one of her charges was a drug charge. Um, so the problems that she was having, the trouble that she was in, it was all behind her choice to use drugs. Um, and so for her, too, um, part of what's helped her, I think, with with not using um, is making amends to people, which they do that in the NA and AA programs. You make amends to people that you have hurt. And so it's for her, she kind of looked at it. It wasn't just about saying, Mom, I'm sorry I did this, or Pop, I'm sorry, or whatever. It was almost for her more like a promise of, I'm not going to do this again. Or this, is, this isn't just me making an apology. It's, it's like, I'm also going to try to never do this again. So it was more than just the apology for behaviors and things that she had done and manipulations and all these pieces. It was also for her, like, to the best of my ability, I'm not going to do drugs again. Which sounds an awful lot like the tail end of the act of the, of contrition. Mm-hmm. I firmly intend, with the help of your grace, not to sin this way anymore. And I'm not here to just get a get-out-of-jail-free card and, and forgiveness for the sin that I've just confessed, but I'm really saying to myself and to God, with your grace, now that I'm begging you for forgiveness, I really don't want to go there anymore. Right. And because she has done counseling, and part of that was, uh, you know, drug drug dependency counseling as well. The amazing thing is, is a few weeks ago, she was having some personal issues and she was able to tell me, she said, mom, I feel like I may be going into like a relapse thinking, which is beautiful, like that she can tell me that. Because if she can tell me that, then we can start working through that. You know, we can start looking at her thinking and her feeling what's happening um, so that she that desire was there. She was thinking relapse. You know, she hadn't, but certainly with the difficulties that she was facing, you know, work and kids and just all those things that are out there in the real world, right? Like sometimes you feel like you're not making enough money to pay all your bills, you know, and she has a baby that's 15 months. That's a lot of work. And she's single mom. And so there's just all these challenges. And so she was able to verbalize, I think I might be involved in some relapse thinking, which was great because then we could start working on some other things like coping skills and interacting some other things. And I was being supportive, available for phone calls. She has some friends available that she could call them, her cousin. So it, it's like um, it's great that she is able to um, understand that the, prevalence and the strength that drugs have had in her life. She understands the role that they've played in the trouble that she's been in. And she understands like some of the things that can happen since like relapse or those kind of things. In the spiritual life, one of the things that we're constantly asked is to leave the old life behind and embrace the new life. And there's a game we can play where we can say, yeah, that probably is part of that old life I need to, to to leave behind. My conscience is telling me that it is, but I sure want to keep it in the category mm-hmm. that things uh, of things that are okay. So I know that conscience in the spiritual life can be a really huge help that we we really need to pay attention to that inner voice that says, 
Father Harry, you sure that really is what you need to be doing as a priest, you know? And you know the answer is no. And yet you're in that moment of decision where you're saying, I'm not sure I want to identify that as those past behaviors that St. Paul wants me to, to leave behind. So conscience is one. What are some of the other ways that we identify those past behaviors that that we brought with us into prison and now we really need to leave there? Oh, you, and that and that was one of the other things that I talked about with tyranny. You know, when we do traps, pitfalls, and patterns of behavior— you know, it is about identifying your old patterns of behavior. And so one of the things that she and I, we sat down, and she's also done this with her counselor, but we did it as well, was we wrote stuff out. I am an, a proponent of writing stuff out. I can know things in my head, but when I see it on a piece of paper, like I have notes in front of me right now, it's more powerful because it is my writing Literally, it's my writing, it's my words, it's the way I verbalize. You don't even know how you can read those things. Exactly, right? And so um, it's it's a purposeful thing to write things out. And so one of the things that she and I did was we looked at some of her patterns of behavior because it's interesting. She she didn't believe that I knew some of her patterns of behavior. And I'm like, dude, I'm your mom, one. I've lived through this with you, essentially, so I know some of your patterns of behavior for example, she's been working out really hard. Weight is something that's really concerning. So for me, what's concerning is drugs were often a catalyst because Tierney wants to be slim, right? So when I see her losing weight, my red flag goes up. So then we're looking at, okay, in the past, what was your pattern of behavior for losing weight? Well, it was to go get meth or whatever she thought would help her lose the weight. And then she's hooked back in. So now... We don't want to have that behavior to lose weight. You know, not starving yourself. We're not using meth. We're not doing these things to lose weight. It needs to be, uh, you know, you're eating right. So she's eating organically, which is a little hard because that's a little more expensive, right? But she's choosing maybe not to buy other things because she wants to eat healthy. And she's walking. So she can't afford to join the gym, but she can walk. Like So there's local parks. And she will go and walk every day. So patterns of behavior were very important to her in understanding her own thinking. Like, for example, sometimes when she couldn't figure out what to do, it would be a manipulation. Oh, mom, I need 20 bucks for this, but she really needed 20 bucks for something else. So all of these patterns, you know, are getting other people to help her with stuff or whatever. She is really set down and we just looked at patterns of behavior that are not helpful for her. And then it's identifying a new behavior that can be helpful. So she wants to eat organically for health and losing weight. Okay. Well, that means maybe I can't go spend money on new clothes or I might get one shirt and not six or something like that. So we've just been really looking at different behaviors and creating a new behavior. And for one of the things that she and I've talked about a lot, um, and right now I'm blank on his name, but you're going to be able to help me, I'm sure, um, is he does a lot of the Catholic teachings and he talks about doing the next right thing. He's written several books and I've just went blank on his name. Well, there's so many good authors out there I can now. See him. Is it a priest or is it a lay person? He's a lay person. Is it, is it Dr. Scott Hahn? No, but okay. he's awesome too. I read some Matthew of his Kelly. stuff. Matthew, Matthew Kelly, Kelly. Okay. thank you. And he talks about doing the next 
right thing. Just do the next right thing. And that's something that we've put in place as well. When you're challenged, because some of those old behaviors just feel good, Mm -hmm. right? And those old behaviors got you what you wanted, but Mm -hmm. maybe at the cost of somebody else. Like in our situation, mom, right? And mom falling for a lot of stuff, right? Or your freedom because it led you to prison. right? And so we talk about, well, Tierney, this may not feel good to not do this or let this go, but what's the next right thing? And she was talking the other day, she goes, you know, that's been a really helpful tool for me. And it's something that I say, what is the next right thing? And it helps her to let go of some of maybe the behaviors that she wouldn't want to let go of. But I would encourage people to everybody. I mean, we all have patterns of behavior. All of us do. And write those patterns out. And you're going to see the ones that are not serving you well because you're sitting, you know, incarcerated right now. What can you do differently, you know, in coming out? If that behavior didn't serve you well and... It's one of the behaviors like drugs. I used drugs when I was sad. Well, what can you do now when you're sad instead of using drugs? You can go for a walk. You can write about your feelings. You can talk to a therapist. You can talk to a trusted friend. You can talk to your priest. You can look for the things, make a grateful list, look at the pot, find the positive things in that day, you know. So there, you're going to have to develop new behaviors, new coping skills. So let's say I hear this and I'm, I'm in my bunk or I'm in my cell and I say, okay, well, that's a good idea. And I start to go down that road with all the helpful tips that you've given me. And as I identify my first pattern of behavior, my second, I really, I look at them and I, I see how negative they were, how self-destructive and other destructive they were. And I get kind of discouraged for moving on from there. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you persevere to really kind of let yourself go on and go through the whole roster of my patterns of behavior. And even though I'm having some negative feelings, I'm, I'm starting to get some some self-negativity uh, going. But I know if I, if I make it through to the end and I put these all on a piece of paper, I'm not going to have to do it again. They're going to be there in front of me. It would be would one way be to, to say this is how I'm going to obtain power over them. Oh, absolutely! You know, think of it as a learning opportunity. Any any mistake that I make, I, I I try not to be too hard on myself, right? Because that is an opportunity to learn and grow. Misbehavior is a way to learn and grow. I mean, this is something that I wish I would have brought up when we talked about kids. When your children misbehave, this isn't a horrific thing. This is your way as a parent to instruct them, to help them grow as children and to learn. Misbehavior is not a bad thing. And the things that you've done, these patterns, you developed patterns of behavior out of something. You know, in our last sessions, we we talked a lot about adverse childhood experiences. You know, if you grew up in a family or you had situations that were, were adverse and challenging, you and if you didn't have a parent helping you or if you didn't turn to a therapist to help you develop coping skills— then you create your own coping skills and you create your own patterns. And we don't know what we don't know, if that makes sense. You don't know what you don't know, but now you know. And so look at this as a learning experience. Look at this as part of your growth into this new person that you're going to be. The new person in Christ is always growing. 
I'm sitting here in front of you as a therapist um, who should have lots of knowledge because I'm a therapist, right? But every day there are pitfalls and mistakes that I make. And I just look at every day as growth opportunity, learning opportunity, growing in Christ to become this better human being and to be better for others as well. And forgiveness is so important. You're going to sit there and you're going to look at these patterns of behavior. And what's going to happen, too, is you're going to think about how these patterns of behavior affected other people. Mm-hmm. The person that maybe that you victimized, the person that you hurt, the parent that you hurt, the child that you hurt. And then these feelings of guilt may come in, of it's never of hopelessness, of helplessness. And, and, and that's going to be like a normal experience to have. But that's when you're going to give yourself forgiveness. You're going to start practicing forgiveness and giving yourself grace. Which is one of the emphasis that we have when we're in the prison is allowing people the grace to have access routinely to confession as much as we possibly can, to go on and take that step and allow yourself to believe that I can repent, I can with God's grace be forgiven, and engage in that sin no more, that this is really worth the the, the effort to go there. Keeping me from that, though, are any number of things. Sure. One of them can be that other people around me see me changing and say, I know you, and that's not who you are, and it'll never be. Another one can be my own self. Up in my head, Mm -hmm. I can start playing that narrative that says, you're making all these good efforts, and people are actually commenting about it, but you know who you really are. Um, Does that fall into that category of my mind is a trap? Oh, absolutely. The mind, your mind, is probably one of the biggest weapons against you, right? You're having to work with not only outside voices that are coming in, but your own mind. What we often do is, is some of you younger folks won't remember, but Father Harry and I will remember uh, tapes, like cassette tapes that you would have music on, playing your car at home, whatever. Well, that tape could be played over and over and over. And we have a tendency as humans to replay tapes over and over in our mind. Um, It could be a tape of, you know, adverse childhood experiences. It could be the tape of, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. It could be, there's all sorts of tapes and we play them over and over. It's never going to get better. I'm never going to be able to do this. I can't make a different life. I'm never going to be what my mom wants. There's thousands of tapes we play. And essentially what you're doing is you're putting a stop to that, that tape. And you're really going to have to work at shutting out those outside voices. And one of the things that I'll often tell my clients is just a little saying, um, but it's really simple. It can be very empowering, but it's you're welcome to your thoughts, opinions, and beliefs, but they're not mine. You don't have to own anything that somebody's trying to put on you. Oh, well, you're an ex fel- you know, ex-con, you're a felon, you did this, this, and this. Did you maybe do these things? Yes, but it doesn't have to be who you are and moving forward. So they're welcome to their opinion of you, their thought about you, but you don't have to accept that. 
So it's not uh, what, I, what you're not encouraging people to do is just deny that they ever had any of these things. No. or any. No, you stay in the reality, but you don't let it rule you. And you hold on to what we teach and believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can change. And indeed, we're all constantly doing that. That's what ongoing conversion is all about. Self-responsibility is, is something that's that in counseling, we will look at the root of where thinking came from or where feeling came from, it's always important to look at those pieces because people want to know, how did I get to this place? How did I get to this place where I'm hurting other people? How did I get to this place of using drugs? That is important to know that. But you also have a responsibility in all of this. So if you're using drugs, you chose to use drugs. If you hurt people, you choose to do that. But it doesn't mean you're stuck in that place. There is so much power that can be gained when you're working on self. You will feel more powerful. You will feel more in control of your life and your decisions and your choices. As you do that, uh, you know, looking at my old patterns of behavior, uh, finding the the that there's times where my mind is definitely the the trap. Um, you could discover that. There are people that have been in your life or may currently be in your life that you might actually put the, the label on them as toxic. Mm-hmm. But as you address who are toxic people, what's meant by toxic people, what about – and if you could address this as well, I, I have to say to myself in all honesty, I've been a toxic person in other people's lives. And if I'm trying to grow in the Lord and, and, and enter more fully into his church, I, I might have a lot of guilt and, you know, kind of baggage uh, based around that. Help us through, you know, the toxic people in our lives, but also when I actually have to reckon with the fact that I've been a toxic person too. Oh, sure. So um, the way that they uh, define uh, toxic people is, and I'm reading this definition, uh, a person is a person as as anyone who is abusive, uh, supportive, or unhealthy emotionally. Someone who basically brings you down more than they bring you up. So this person is somebody that's um, unsupportive. They may put you down. They may make fun of you. They're emotionally unhealthy for you. That is a toxic person. Um, A toxic person could even be your parent. And in the counseling field, we would encourage you to... um, not have toxic people in your life, even if it was a parent. You know, you can't grow and get better if you have toxic people around you. Um, Just like I mentioned in the previous one, my daughter's, one of her best friends is her brother, but he's toxic to her because he likes to use drugs. He likes that world still. And so they can't be together. And it's also acknowledging like, hey, I've had toxic behaviors as well. You know, uh, one of the things that Tierney and I talked about when we talked about her brother being a toxic person in her life, she was able to identify how she's been toxic as well. And she's been toxic to him. You know, when she when they use drugs together, essentially, she's being a toxic person to him. She's supporting a lifestyle that's not good for either one of them. And so I think... um, you know, it's acknowledging how you've been toxic to people, too, and then knowing that there's also toxic people in your life that you may have to have really good boundaries with. 
from a spiritual side, the detoxification, if I find that within myself, certainly is abundant in sacred scripture and the teachings of the church. Uh, it calls comes to mind, say only the good things uh, that will really help people, you know, and, and uh, allow people uh, the grace of forgiveness. Uh, if they come to you, how many times must I forgive? Seven mm-hmm. times? No, 70 times seven. Those would be the spiritual things that I think are pretty easy for us to cherry pick out of scripture and the teachings of the church in terms of trying to to detoxify. But in the clinical world, uh, what are the things, you know, if that tape is playing over and over in my head and I'm just going to stay convinced that I'm a toxic person and I always will be breaking free of that? You know, I think maybe it's then it's working on your worth and value. Okay. Right. Like, don't let somebody else determine your worth and your value. That's one of the tapes that's running through your head. It could be family and it could be society. Society says a lot about people that are incarcerated. Like, they're worthless. They have no value. And they don't get to determine that. You get to determine that. Jesus gets to determine that. I think, if I remember correctly, I mean, Jesus had some friends that were, were you know, People that had past prostitutes, all sorts of things. So I think it's a, not allowing others, not allowing toxic people, not allowing your own toxic thoughts to determine worth and value. Nobody gets to determine your worth and value but you. And you have worth and value through Jesus Christ. And when all else fails, it sounds a little corny, but there was, I know a few years ago there was a saying, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. That can be a great thing to ask yourself. You know, ask yourself that question when you're going to make a decision or, you know, if you're feeling like you want to be abusive to somebody or you want to act in a toxic way. Well, what would Jesus do? You know, he would not behave this way. What would he have done? Um those can just be some good questions to ask yourself. And in that realm on the what would Jesus do when we look in the final moment of his human life, who is flanking him on either side on the cross are two people who are convicted criminals. And for the people in the world who have either been victims of crime where it's really tough perhaps at, at certain moments in their lives to overcome and, and say, I can see good. And people who have committed crimes may be tough to do that. For other people who may say, once a criminal, always a criminal, um, they, they'll they say one thing, but they'll mean another. Um, really instructive to see that you have the one guy on one side actually affirm that. You know, uh, he, he derides Jesus mm-hmm. and he stays true to his criminal self all the way to his last breath. But then the the gospel gives us the other side, and I think that's the side. We have to pay attention to both. Yes, that's valid. There are people out there who are never going to give it up, that they, they've sold themselves into a criminal life, and, and uh, we need to pray for their soul when they stand before the just judge. But the gospel doesn't deny the reality of the other kind of person that does repent, that looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, uh, let me be with you when you come into your kingdom. And he promises, this day you will be with me in paradise. So for those of us in the world that struggle with a felon in our midst, mm-hmm. um, this is a reality that, that really is there in front of us. Um, but looking at how Jesus handled his business with that in a moment where he could have just as easily said, hey, look, you guys, I mean, I'm in a really tough spot here myself. <laughs> Leave me alone and tend to yourselves. That's not what he did. And so for all of us, hopefully that's an encouragement to recognize on the one ha- hand, yes, there are going to be people who are just not 
not ever going to let themselves step out of that crime mentality, uh, desire, motivation framework. But there's plenty of people that are trying. And we actually can be an agent in their lives of assisting them in moving that direction, even if it doesn't take a first time or a second time or a third time. So many times, Renee, we hear people say to us, um, they, they get into their 30s and throughout their 20s, they spent one time, two times, three times in prison, in state mm-hmm. prison, a lot of times for drug charges, a lot of times for repeat offenses on burglary and robbery for a, a drug habit. And then they get to their 30s and they look at the 20-somethings that are around them in their prison setting and they see themselves and they say, I don't want to do this anymore. When I get done with this stint, I really don't want to come back. Well, so it's recognizing that not all people who commit crimes and who have been in prison and then get out are going to be in the same trajectory for wanting to leave that life behind. So if you run into somebody and they you find out that that's part of their past, try to be that agent of assisting them not to go back again in their 20s, not to have to say, I'm in my 30s now and I'm doing my third sentence, but really to help them to understand it's not worth it. Um, the, what, what is worth it is goodness and grace and that peace of heart that comes from doing the right thing because you believe that you are a child of God. Well, we give thanks today for all the guidance that you have given us, Renee. We look forward to our next session. Um, we c- recall the Lord on the cross in this very moment and the two souls that he had on either side of him as he looked at the one uh, who was unrepentant and he said to the other one, now that you are I welcome you into my eternal kingdom.